Hi, my name is Lydia. And I'm Emma. And we're the hosts of Holy Ship. We are passionate about creating a space for women to talk about sexuality, their bodies, and all things relationships. We think that for so long, Christian spheres have often failed to address these topics with women in a healthy, shame-free, and open way. So welcome to Holy Ship, where we address all the taboo topics in a way that is honoring to you, your relationships, and God. Well, welcome back to season two of Holy Ship. This is our first episode of season two, and it is about church, sex, and shame. As the first episode of our purity series, we thought it was only fitting to start with where most of us learned about purity and that sex and shame should be tied together, which was in church. So this past season on sex allowed Emma and I to share most of our experience growing up in church and how that affected our views on sex, which was such an incredible season. Y'all, we got to hear from Hannah from Say What, and that was just such a fun episode. So if you haven't given it a listen yet, make sure to go back and do so. Um, We just loved having different voices on the show, so we thought it would be a great time to bring in some other views. And today we have my dear friend Sarah Fox on the show to launch our season on Purity. So Sarah is one of my dearest friends and one of the most constant people in my life. Y'all are missing out if you do not have Sarah as a friend. And not only is she an incredible friend, but she is so wise and such a faithful follower of Christ. She also has a blog where she writes encouraging messages about womanhood, relationships, and justice, and is a frequent contributor to Iridescent Women. So we are so excited to have Sarah on the show today to talk about church, sex, and shame. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. So excited. Lydia, I love how enthusiastic you were when you said shame. Maybe excited (laughs) to talk about something. (laughs) And shame, guys. Listen, it needs to be talked about. We might as well get excited about the discussion. Yes, I love it. No, it's so great. Just to like start off, could you briefly describe your experience growing up in the church and just your church's approach to sex and if it was talked about, if it wasn't talked about, all that jazz? Yeah, so I grew up, my church is a part of the Brethren Church. And so I grew up in a very traditional atmosphere where all the rules were pretty strict. And so to give you an example, women had to stay silent during meetings and um, they had to cover their heads as well. And we also had to be properly dressed. And so we couldn't wear skirts that were above the knee. And um, the church's approach to sex was basically beware adultery and fornication. And they saw sex as something that had boundaries and it had to be within marriage. And so there wasn't a lot of like enjoyment per se, in the descriptions of sex, it was mostly just a caution to abstain and also to just not engage in adultery and fornication. So those were the biggest um, issues concerning sex that the church, that their views had. Wow. (laughs) 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 I'm just, I'm just thinking about all of the um, different denominations. So what, what type of denomination was that is that its own yeah it's its own thing it's okay. um the brethren church so it's it's an entirely different denomination okay. interesting what do you feel like that's most closely aligned to for people who aren't as familiar with church denominations like is that more protestant orthodox catholic 
Um, it's more orthodox with okay. a little bit of a mix of Baptist, I would say, because okay. um, we're a predominantly black church. So um, some of our traditions are a little bit different from like the traditional brethren church, which was mostly all white. And so we have a little bit of like Caribbean flavor, I would say. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, cool. Yeah. That's just for added context there, but okay. I I see. I see. Um, We did talk with you before the show, just kind of about your background, but you were talking about a Bible study you went to that kind of shifted your view of sex. And I was wondering if you could kind of describe what your view of sex was before going to this meeting, kind of if you were like allowed to talk about sex in church, like kind of like um, what that looked like and then what happened after this Bible study and then now what your view of sex looks like. So before the Bible study, um, growing up in the Brethren Church, my view of sex was that it was something to be avoided. Uh, We didn't really talk about it. We didn't really have open discussions about it. Um, It was always kind of uncomfortable to kind of talk about sex. I mean, my parents did a great job of like, you know, having open discussions about this, but the church wasn't really open to talking about sex as often. So I thought it was just something that I needed to avoid. So I was basically just trying to stay pure and also just trying not to engage in like sexual temptation because I thought I was going to be sinning if I even had an attraction to someone. I know as crazy as that sounds, but that's how the church kind of made it seem. And so um, after the Bible study that I had, um, it was through Thrive Studies. And so they had a series on sex and basically they were saying that sex is actually a good thing and that it was created by God And that it was created for our enjoyment and pleasure, you know, it wasn't something, it wasn't like a caution or a warning sign to say, okay, no, you can't do this activity because you'll be doing something very grave and dangerous, you know, it, the Bible study really illuminated the fact that God created it for our good, you know, and it's something that is a good thing and something that can be enjoyed. So that kind of revolutionized the way that I saw sex. I, I, it opened my eyes to the fact that, hey, this is something like in the right parameters is something that can be enjoyed and something that was meant for us to enjoy. You know, it wasn't just something that was, you know, just, you know, just like a, a dangerous thing. So yeah, the Bible study really revolutionized the way I looked at sex versus how the church taught us about sex. Mm-hmm. At what age um, were you when you finally got to this Bible study? So I was around 15 years old. Okay. Have you guys ever seen Mean Girls? Oh, yeah. Yes. Sex ed scene where it's like sex leads to STDs or like STDs leads to death. So if you have sex, you'll die. Like, right. Yeah, you'll get pregnant and die. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. I feel like that's kind of like, when you were talking about your church, how I kind of like view that like conversation going, maybe not like you'll die, but like you're going to hell, like type of situation. Like that's like, I mean, like from growing up in the Midwest, I feel like that was definitely my like narrative of that or not mine. The narrative I was like taught was that like sex was like somehow this like worst sin that like would like jeopardize your salvation and like you couldn't have it. But then like, there's kind of no discussion like other than that. So 
I mean, it's nice to know that there's other people that had. <laughs> but then how was, how was sex then addressed in marriage? Like, was it just like, you know, terrible and a detriment to your salvation? Like if it was before marriage or outside of marriage, like, and then did they speak favorably of it in marriage or just not really at all? Yeah, so it was actually, I'm glad that you brought that up, because it was actually the polar opposite. It was like sex before marriage. It's like, oh, no, no, we're not going to do that. But yeah. then sex after marriage, it's like, oh, it's pleasurable. It's God-given. It's it's amazing. And I'm just like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> why are we making it seem like sex is so bad before marriage? Like, what makes it different? What is the change? You know, so that was never really explained either but mm -hmm. yeah like I'm glad you brought that up yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> Lydia, go ahead <laughs> I feel like even like with my like situation growing up I feel like I never even heard anyone talk about sex like even in marriage like in the church or anything it's like that's interesting like I didn't really know if like sex was pleasurable or not like I had like absolutely no idea I kind of like assumed from like things out here like in the recess like playground you know <laughs> right <laughs> but like that was the extent of like my thoughts on that yeah I didn't even get like the god-given or like pleasure part until maybe I was like much older but for all I knew it was just like good because it's how you created kids and yeah. <laughs> and then just like right it was just like right. it was just like a, a way to repopulate and you know if you didn't want to repopulate before you were married which it was like uh, you know so then then you don't so it was merely described a lot to me in terms of just procreation or not not like good or bad or pleasurable or not pleasurable just kids or no kids yeah you know that's interesting I think what like still blows my mind is that like God created sex like I know that but like I feel like it's like it was like seen as such a sin growing up that's like there's no way he could have possibly created sex and I feel like that's still in the back of my head even though I like know that like now of course God created sex of course it's good like all this but it like still blows my mind. I'm like, it's just weird to me. And also like, I feel like when you are having sex within marriage, like it's unifying and it's like glorifying God. And like the fact that like sex, like sex could be glorifying God, like crazy to me. That is kind of crazy. But then like, I just, I never, I guess growing up and in my particular situations, I never got that it was a sin at all like it was merely in terms of procreation like only on that part was sex described and talked about to me yeah. you know and like you wouldn't want to procreate if you weren't married and so therefore there's no need to talk about it because that's all it's there for yeah so yeah yeah interesting so um Okay, so your church focused and described sex as bad in the wrong parameters. And when we were, um, Lydia shared a little bit with me about what 
the two of you talked about. Um, and you gave just such amazing analogies, like uh, the fire in the forest analogy um, and how like sex was viewed as bad in like the wrong pr- parameters, but God given and like a blessing and so special in the right parameters. Um, and so maybe, you know, if you could share like that, those analogies that, um, you shared with Lydia with us, that'd be great. And also I'm wondering if there is anything redeeming to your church's viewpoint on sex, because to me, there does sound like a lot of redeeming points, um, just in the little bit that you've said right now. Um, but just, I'm curious to know, um, your perspective and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So the analogies I actually also got from the Bible study. Amazing. So, um, yeah. So that's why it was so like revolutionizing to me because I was like, oh, wow, I've never even thought about it in that way. But the analogy is, um, that sex is like fire where it could be like, it's in a fireplace where it could be warm and inviting in the right, you know, parameters. But once you take those parameters off, it could spread like a wildfire and be harmful and not really be good to anyone. So that was um, the analogy. And that analogy actually helped me, you know, really reframe my mind on how I thought like sex was actually used because You know, as you mentioned before, it's like a lot of the times we think it's just for procreation. But as Lydia said before, it's like it's unifying and it is also a way to glorify God. And, you know, in the right parameters and when we when I say the right parameters, I mean like sex and marriage, Um, because like having sex in marriage, it's really like a bond that and it's something that it's like a covenant between a man and a woman and that covenant is expressed through through that particular um okay sorry yeah that particular (laughs) act we could do do pg version pg 13 version or whatever you want to say that's fine Um, those sexual acts are really the expression of the unconditional love that the man and the woman have for each other. So really those parameters are like the healthy version of sex. And whereas having sex outside of marriage can lead to a whole, you know, laundry list of things that are very harmful. Like it could lead to, you know, difficult breakups, or it could lead to heartbreak, it could lead to sexually transmitted diseases, if you're not careful, like, you know, so it's, it's just basically having those boundaries. And I think that's something that my church got right, where, you know, having the correct boundaries, and talking about the consequences of having sex outside of marriage, it, it could really take a toll on the mind and body. And so because of that, I think the church got that right, where you teach what can happen when sex is not used for God's intended purpose for it. So, yeah. I think kind of just commenting on you pausing when we were, you were talking about like having sex, even within marriage there, do you think you still like experience like shame when like talking about sex like it's like awkward like to talk about 
<laughs> like, think about, do you think you still experience shame even after like having this Bible study where they talked about like this fire analogy with sex and that like sex is good, right? It's like the, the essence of sex doesn't change, but like in the parameters, it can cause so many harmful things depending on like what parameters it is. Do you think like you do still like experience shame with talking about it, with like thinking about it? Like, I mean, like all of that. Okay, so honestly, I was trying to figure out the words. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um, yeah, I would say that I still do experience shame, um, particularly talking about it, because I, I'm kind of proud of myself for actually being brave enough to have this conversation, because I would consider myself a very reserved person. And outside of like my parents giving me the talk, I've never really sat down with someone and had a, you know, an honest and open conversation about this. And I think it's something that is really needed, especially in today's society when you have like a lot of, cause I used to work with like a lot of teenagers and their views of sex are wildly different from, Mm -hmm. you know, what we grew up hearing in the church. And so I think it's very great to have these open and honest conversations because it not only opens the door for you know people to let go of the shame and to let go of the stigma that's attached to sex um it not only does that but it also helps us to grow together and to learn about each other and so we can invite each other into those spaces to say hey you don't have to feel shameful for this you don't have to feel uncomfortable like this is a natural thing we all got here because of it you know and so um you know I I really think I do sometimes experience the shame but I'm so happy and grateful that I can be able to talk about it with you guys and be in that safe space and also just like examine the viewpoints of what we grew up hearing because a lot of the times we don't actually examine the stuff that we hear growing up. We just accept it. And it's just like to have this forum to be able to go back and say, wait a minute, sex is actually good and it's created by God and it was meant to glorify him. And so when we put it in those viewpoints, we can actually make progress towards letting go of the shame and being vulnerable. I love that so much. Yeah, I think I'm just kind of interested. What does purity mean to you? What does that look like in your life? Um, Yeah. Yeah, so to me, um, purity is definitely not purity culture. That is (laughs) very toxic. Um, (laughs) But to me, um, purity is having the wisdom to know the boundaries of what you do with your body and also just having the wisdom to know the difference between harmful ways of you know just like practically just destroying your body on a on a physical and spiritual level um and just knowing the difference between cherishing your body and also um what not to do in in order to you know like protect yourself um just knowing how to protect yourself and also having the wisdom to know how to cherish your own body i love that i also love that phrase cherish your own body i've never really like been able to put that into words but i think that's 
really what it is, right? And I think purity also has a lot to do with your mindset, right? And like what your thoughts are just as much as what your actions are, what you've done. Do you think, or what do you think your stance is now on like the intersection of church, sex, and like purity? Do you think like, has your church gotten better at talking about that? Have you like been able to facilitate any like conversations in your own life? Like how has your viewpoint changed? Yeah, so on on the topic of the church, unfortunately, we still have a lot of work to do mm-hmm. in terms of like actually talking about it and, you know, just giving people the viewpoint that, you know, sex is something that is natural and should be talked about. Um so we have a little bit of work to do, but I think that the church has a mission to teach the proper boundaries and origins of sex. Um, especially considering, like, we already talked about it, God created it. So, like, why is it important? Because God created it. And so I also think that the church has a mission to teach that sex is good, and it is something that can be enjoyed, you know, because we often lose the enjoyment out of it, you know? Well, not while you're doing it, uh, I hope. (laughs) But um, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) you (laughs) it's like we lose the enjoyment aspect of it. And um, I also think that the church has a mission to teach that guarding your heart leads to making pure decisions. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the times we don't really think about the fact that we have to guard our hearts, especially concerning sex. Um, A lot of the times it's like, especially in the modern world, it's like we're, we're always just like, just like charged to go after it. And to to just, like, have sex in order to be fulfilled. And that's not something that is fulfilling, one. And two, it is, it is very important that you protect yourself and not only protect your physical body, but protect your spiritual well-being and also your heart and mind. Because sex is not just a physical act. It is something that involves the spirit. It involves the heart. It involves every aspect of you and the essence of who you are. So I think that the church and purity and sex are all intertwined and the church really should take it upon themselves to educate and encourage people and to really not only make them aware of of the cautions of sex or, or not having safe sex or having sex outside of marriage, but also to tell them that, you know, it's important that you do stay pure because a lot of the times, especially in today's world, people aren't really pushing purity culture unless they're pushing it in the toxic way. But um, people aren't really taking a stance for being pure. People aren't really taking a stance for having sex within marriage. And so I think the church has a big responsibility, especially teaching the young people growing up in church that this is the right way to, you know, to use sex. And it's also, it can be used in a healthy and safe way. So would purity come down to being defined by each individual and be left up to each individual's definition of pure and how they would Um, guard their heart and their mind and their soul? Or do you think that the church should have a general like 
um, not baseline, but I guess like framework of purity to remain in. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like a specific, um, like example or something to fall in love or to fall in line with. Um, yeah, you're laughing. Cause I'm just, I'm my, my head is kind of like all over the place because, you know, we're in such a, um, individualistic mm-hmm. culture where, you know, like our truth is our truth and it's very subjective. And so like, if I think, you know, I'm, I'm still pure if I do all the things and like have all the fun, but like, I'm not super attached to the person like mentally, or, you know, I, I could still feel pure. And in that sense, where does the church come in and say like, no, like purity is, is really X, Y, and Z. Like, what do you think, um, the church's role and the individual's role should be together. And so it's not just on a case by case basis, unless it should be Um, just curious to know what you think. I know that was kind of like, that's super articulate, but you know where I'm going with this. At least Lydia, you kind of know where I'm going with this. So feel free to (laughs) clarify my, you know, brain Mm -hmm. dump there. Yeah. um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think that the church should set the standard and should set the framework and where it, where the individuality comes in is you have a choice. You have the free will to say, no, this is not what I want to live my life by. Or you can say, yes, this is the framework I want to abide by. So I don't think the church should encroach on people's ability to choose um, for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I think on an individual level, you should take into consideration the framework that the church is setting and, and the standard of what purity actually is. So it's really just like telling people about the truth. And the truth is that God sets the standard of purity and whether you would like to believe that or not, that's entirely up to you. That's where the individual part comes in. But I think the church has the greater responsibility of setting the standard of saying, hey, this is what God says. And this is according to the truth of God's word. And this is how you ought to live a pure life by guarding your heart, and also being wise about the decisions that you make, especially concerning sex. So I think it it should be a balance. I don't think the church should monopolize it. And I also don't think individuals should completely internalize it and say, okay, this is the way that I want to live my life. Or like you said, I could be detached and be completely pure, even though my mind and my heart is not in this. Um, So it's a balance of the two. Yeah, I also think, like, I think purity is not like you're like doing something and all of a sudden you're now impure and like you're not pure. Like, I also think purity is like when you're chasing God, right? Like, certain things are going to fall in line in your life. And like, one of those things, I think if you're like fully chasing God, you're like pursuing Him, that like you're not going to like really like 
I mean, you still want to have sex. You're still going to desire that, but like, that's not something that you're going to like prioritize over your faith. And like, not to say that, like, you can't be chasing God and like still give a blow job. Like I've definitely been there and done that. But then like, I take like a jump in my faith and then I realize actually, like, I don't think that's honoring to God. And like, I don't want to do that anymore, like out of respect for God. And because like, again, like, I think that's what's pure. You know what I mean? I think that's something you kind of grow into as you are chasing God. I totally agree. I like the balance between the church and the individual because, um, because I, I do think that when, um, the church comes in, they're obviously in a leadership position. So what, um, they say may seem like, um, more damning than if you were to have a conversation with friends or um, with family, uh, because it's coming from such a strong spiritual um, leader. And uh, I think that's where we get a lot of the do's and don'ts rule, um, strictly in the sense like, you know, do this and you will go to heaven, do this and you we'll go to, or don't do this and you'll go to hell and, and stuff like that. And so I think that there does need to be a balance. Um, and in the same respect, like individuals should really seriously listen to the church. And I think take that advice. And I, I also think it's very important to get family members involved and, um, and kids as well. Cause sometimes, um, parents and, um, and other siblings, like if they're in the same church, like they can also feel very embarrassed Mm -hmm. to talk about, um, this topic and I'm not a parent, so I don't know, um, what it would be like to give the birds and the bees speech. But if you're in a church, that's not, um, like open about it or explicit in different, sex areas, um, then it could be really awkward and intimidating. Um, and I guess this flows into another question I had for you, Sarah, and that is, um, pertaining to marriage. What if, if a church is preaching like, oh, it it might be a sin to have like thoughts or attraction to another person, um, because that could lead to lust or it could lead to, um, sex before marriage or something like that. Um, how do, what are their expectations of marriage slash like, how would you then get married and like find a person if you were supposed to be attracted to them just in case you fell into lust, you know? So like, how is that approached? Yes. So um, that's a really great question. Um, I think the approach is more like they, okay, in defense of my church, they just want to protect me um, or, you know, younger people um, from entering into a sexual relationship prematurely Mm -hmm. and also the hurt that comes with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's more of like a protection, but my thing is where does the protection end? Like, where does it stop? Like, why are you so like concerned about protecting me in that state where I'm single, 
I'm young, I'm going to be attracted to men. Like, <laughs> there's no stopping that. So why so heavy on the protection so early? And I think that comes with the fact that the church doesn't often know how to handle, like, singleness, at least with my church, because we're very family oriented. We have a lot of families. And so we esteem marriage as like, sometimes we esteem it as the end goal, you know, and we don't really talk about what to do in the waiting period or what to do when I do feel attracted to a guy or, you know, what am I supposed to do with these feelings? I, I think they're so focused on the protection aspect of not entering into sexual relationships before you have to, that they're not really thinking about, okay, what if this person were to be attracted to me? How am I supposed to react? Like, I think the church should do a better job of just shepherding people who, you know, don't know what to do in that type of situation or want to know what to do or how to react. And I think for me, I don't want to say, um, I, I would say I'm lacking in terms of like that middle ground of like knowing what to do. Like, okay, someone's attracted to me. Oh boy. How do I, how do I react to that person? Or I'm attracted to that person. Like, how do I react? Like, what am I supposed to do? I don't think I am super like well-equipped to be able to act on those feelings. Um, and I'm just saying that because I don't think my church has really, they they taught what to do in terms of like, don't enter into a sexual relationship before marriage, but they never really talk about that middle ground where it's like, okay, here's where you meet a guy and you're dating. And you know, they never really talk about that. So I think it's because they're so focused on that protection aspect that they really miss the beauty of, you know, dating and, you know, courtship and getting to the point where you do get engaged and then you do get married. Like a lot of that gets lost in the fact that they want to protect us. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. I also think there's something about like to stewarding your singleness well. And I think that's often missed as well. Like one, like singleness is a gift like a spiritual gift listed in the Bible, right? Like, and not that we all have that, but I think like one, like marriage isn't always end goal for everyone, but then like, it's not like you're not going to have sexual temptation like your whole life either. And I think like the church does need to address that more. And I mean, some churches have done a great job. Like I've watched some sermons on singleness and I was like, wow, that actually like helps me a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think you're right. Like there's that in-between stage between like, protecting and then all of a sudden you're like married and having sex that like is never really addressed I guess I am just curious about the intricacies that come with singleness and sexual temptation and also if you like are dating someone and you're in that church setting and like what's you know how how pure is pure you know Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's always a question uh, that I have, but I feel like, you know, it's to keep talking about how the church addresses it is kind of a dead end because 
I've never been in a church situation that has talked about the details of like levels leading up to, I guess, you know, sex, sex, if you will. And um, (laughs) I mean, we'll, we'll already have, you know, we're already going to be talking about all of this stuff, Lydia, but um, you know, for others to go back and listen to, but I just think it's very interesting. Um, Purity defined by the church um, and then defined by each individual, um, you know, cause it can, I just, I wonder like, what are the levels? And it's just so detailed that I don't think anyone has tackled it yet yeah. in, in a church setting, except for like that, that Bible study sound sounded really fruitful and helpful. And also mm-hmm. really cool that that happened to you when you were 15, um, and I never really well, had something early twenties. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never had something like that until shoot, like in college, yeah. um, just, just wild. And I also think um, like for, for me, I also think in a way that was kind of a blessing because I was kept so pure in mind for so long. And some people, you know, could uh, view it as like, um, like I was a prude or, um, or like a child. Uh, but I think there's something really beautiful about having a, a pure mind and not having like being bombarded with these thoughts if it's not necessary. And for right. me, like in that time in my life, it wasn't necessary for me, you know, when I was 15 to be thinking about that stuff. Um, I was in a very, um, like just non-tempting settings, I guess. And so I'm grateful for that pure mind that I had for so long. And I think that that is something that the church should also highlight. Like, you know, it's okay to want to have a pure body and a pure mind because, you know, things that we think about could be just as harmful as, you know, things that we do with, um, our body. So yeah, I kind of just went on a little, a little bunny trail rant there, but <laughs> love it. I, I just, yeah, I think Sarah, you're so articulate. I've always thought that, especially in class, we only had like one class together, but she's really <laughs> smart and yeah. Um, and I just, I like those analogies, um, that you gave, even though I know they came from your Bible study, I still think um, they're cool to hear. And yeah. yeah, so thank you so much for listening to our episode on church, sex, and shame. Make sure to follow us on Instagram to stay up to date on all things the Holy Ship podcast. Our Instagram handle is at the Holy Ship podcast, and our email is under that same handle. So the Holy Ship podcast at gmail.com. So yeah, make sure to follow us to stay up to date. If you have any questions or concerns, you can slide into our DMs or you can send us an email and we'll make sure to get back to you. But we just want to thank you so much for joining us on season two. Yeah.